Thanks for downloading today's podcast of Clearly Seen, taught by Mike Kokoris. I think you're going to enjoy what Mike has for you today. And if you're ever in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles, we invite you to Lindley Church. Mike would love to meet you personally and answer any questions you have. Feel free to email your comments and questions to michael at kokoris.com. That's michael at C-O-C-O-R-I-S dot com. Now, let's hear from Mike. As you are well aware, believers have duties and responsibilities because of their relationship to the Lord. Obviously, we have some obligations toward Him personally, and because of our relationship toward Him, that impacts our relationship in every area of our life. So that when you become a serious, thoughtful Christian, you start uh, asking yourself, uh, what are my responsibilities and obligations in some of these other areas? I suppose uh, when you start doing that, one of the first areas you think about is your relationship at home. A husband asks uh, how his relationship with Jesus Christ should affect his relationship with his wife, and a wife asks something similar about her husband. Uh, then you begin to think about um, how your relationship with Jesus Christ should affect the way you work. And ultimately, you really get uh, serious and earnest about growing spiritually. You have to eventually ask uh, about your relationship to society at large and government for that matter. So I don't think it comes as any surprise for me to say to you that um, you as a Christian have obligations, duties toward um, all the people in your life. Now, we've been studying the book of Romans, and um, we came upon an area that isn't discussed a great deal in the New Testament, though it's there in two or three places, and that is the believer's relationship to government, to the state. But let me bring up another area that is related to that not just our responsibility to the state, but our responsibility and relationship to those within the state. What about that area of our life? Or to use the old-fashioned word, how about my relationship to my neighbor? What is your responsibility and obligation as a Christian to your neighbor, to all of the people within the state in which you reside. Well, in Romans chapter 13, the Apostle Paul mentions that very thing. Usually when we think of Romans chapter 13 and uh, what it has to say to the believer, we usually think of our relationship to the government. And that obviously is there in the first seven verses but in verse 8, Paul picks up and discusses our relationship to the governed, not just to the government. So will you turn with me to Romans chapter 13, and let's look at verses 8, 9, and 10. The Apostle Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Notice that in chapter 13, verse 1, Paul began by saying, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. From that point down through verse 7, he discusses the relationship of the believer to government. Then in verse 8 he says, Owe no one anything. The little phrase, no one, indicates that we have shifted gears, that we are now talking about not just our relationship to the government, but now to our relationship to the governed. Not our relationship to the state, but to those within the state. Now, what does he say is our obligation to our neighbor, to those who live around us that don't know the Lord? Well, he says, owe no one anything. Or, to put the same thing another way, pay all your debts. Your first and foremost obligation as a citizen within the state is to pay all your debts and all your obligations to everyone within the state. Now what does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, owe no one anything? Well, may I suggest that he has just said in verse 7, render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor, owe no one anything. Now, the end of verse 7 is related to government primarily, but he fades from government to everyone and in the process uses the same identical Greek word. Verse 7 says, render therefore to all their due. And then he says, owe no one anything. The word do in verse 7 and the word owe in verse 8 is the same identical Greek word in the Greek text. So, though he is shifted gears and moved from one subject to another, there is a sense in which they are related. And I think, in a sense, verse 8 is a takeoff on verse 7. Or, to say that same thing another way, our obligation is to pay our debt. And verse 7, it lists what those debts are. It says in verse 7, Render to all that you owe them, taxes to whom taxes, custom to whom custom. That has to do with government. Then he says, Fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And he applies that to everybody, not just the government. So fear, or respect, in verse 7, is primarily talking about the government. Honor, in verse 7, is talking primarily about the government. But what he does in verse 8 is broaden that to include everybody within the state. In other words, when it says, pay all your debts, the first debt that I'm going to suggest needs to be paid is fear to whom fear. Or, as you know, that word means respect. You are to respect 
everyone in society. There is a certain level of respect that is due everyone simply because they are a fellow human being. Let me make another observation, one I find personally rather fascinating. Look back in verse 1. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. He says in verse 7, fear to whom fear. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, the word submit, used in verse 1 here, is used of wives submitting to their husbands. The word fear, used in verse 7, is also used in Ephesians chapter 5 of the attitude that a wife is to have toward her husband. I find it rather interesting that the same words that describe a wife's relationship to her husband are used of a citizen's relationship to the government and to citizens at large. All of which leads me to suggest that these concepts are first practiced at home. They're first learned at home and then they extend beyond the home to all within society. So when you think of what you owe society at large, it's the same kind of spiritual, biblical principles you practice at home. You are to submit to the government and you are to render respect to all, just like a wife would do her husband. That's part of the debt. Verse 7 also mentions honor to whom honor is due. You should not only give people around you respect, you should also give them honor. Honor to whom honor is is due. When someone is due a certain level of honor, we are as Christians to give it to them. One English literary critic pointed out that as long as an author is living, we talk about his worst production. But when he dies, we talk about his best production. Isn't that the way it is? We are critical and we criticize people when they're living, but oh, let them die. And we can preach the worst sinner right into heaven. Well, the scripture admonishes us to do the exact opposite, if you will. This is talking about our relationship with people that don't know the Lord. And they deserve a certain level of respect and even honor. And part of our debt to citizens at large is to give them honor when that honor is due. But I suppose um, when most people read Romans 13, 8 and they hear, oh no man anything, they don't think about honor and respect. They immediately think about money, right? The Bible teaches that you shouldn't owe anybody anything. That means you shouldn't owe them money. Well, of course, while I don't think that's the primary thing that the Apostle Paul has in mind, I do most certainly think that it is included because he says, owe no one anything, and money is something, so it's included. But the minute you include money in Romans 13, 8, you bring up this huge problem. 
Does that mean that you can't borrow money? Have you ever heard anybody use this verse and suggest that this means that you should never borrow money? Does the Bible teach that it is wrong to borrow money? If it does, I suspect that we could have a long confession service if all of us confessed our sin, if indeed that is a sin. Does the Bible teach that it is sinful to borrow money? My answer to that is, do you really want to know? All of those who you who have a MasterCard and a Visa and American Express and now the Discover card are waiting with bated breath to see if you should be convicted or if you should not be convicted. Is it wrong for a Christian to borrow money? My answer is, do you really want to know? Turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Are you sure you want to know? Psalm 37 gives us an insight. Psalm 37 verse 21 says, The wicked borrows. Uh-oh. We are in trouble. But that is not all it says. It says, the wicked borrows and does not repay. But the righteous, righteous show mercy and gives. Now I would simply point out that the scripture doesn't say it is wicked to borrow, but to borrow and not repay. So that may relieve you a little. But if you would like more relief than that, I would invite your attention to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 42. It might not be a bad idea to write these references in the margin beside Romans 13.8. Every loan officer will deeply appreciate this message. Matthew chapter 5 verse 42 says, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Matthew 5.42 is spoken by the Lord in the Sermon on the Mount and he concedes that it is not a sinful practice to borrow money. So hear me and hear me well. It has been widely broadcast abroad in the United States among Christians that it is sinful to borrow money. It is not. Psalms uh, 37.21 and Matthew 542 clearly indicate that it is not sinful to borrow. Now having said that, let me quickly add, in my personal opinion, the scriptures teach that it is not the wisest thing in the world to do. And I have recommended in another place in scripture on another occasion that you ought to avoid credit as much as possible. However, there are times when you simply have no choice and you should not feel convicted just because you borrowed money unless you don't make your payments. What the scripture would say is it's okay to borrow money provided you make your payments. If you want to get real technical, and I've heard some do this, 
I would say. You don't owe until the past due date in the sense of Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything, and though you owe him in one sense, he is not looking for it until the due date of the payment, and in that sense, you're not owing him until that date comes. But the point is, you're to owe no man anything. That is, you're to pay respect, you are to pay honor, you are to pay your debts. It is that that we are to be known for in the community at large. It is that kind of conduct that will make its impact on them. A grocer was once overheard praising the new preacher that had come to town. When someone standing nearby said, have you heard him preach? And the grocer had to admit, no, I haven't. But he's a terrific preacher. They said, well, if you haven't heard him preach, how do you know? He said, it's real simple. All his members are now paying their bills. Well, it's that kind of testimony the Lord wants us to have. He wants us to pay all our debts. There is, however, an exception. Look at verse 8 again. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. Isn't that a strange statement? Some of us are so familiar with it, it's lulled us to sleep. But doesn't it strike you as strange that you're to pay all the debts but that one? What do you mean you shouldn't pay that one? What is he saying? Well, the point of Romans 13, 8 is that you're to pay all your debts and the primary debt is love, only that's a debt that you can never fully repay. You are to pay all your debts, and some of them you can manage. Uh, to go back to verse 7, you can pay your taxes. Well, at least you can be caught up with them at the moment. They'll figure out some new ones to make you pay. But uh, there's a sense in which you can be paid up to date on your taxes. Hey, you can be paid up in the sense of um, uh, honor. There are obligations that we have to honor and respect people, and we can pay those. But there is a sense in which that we can never fully repay the debt of love. We will always be paying on it and never quite make it. We have an obligation to keep trying to pay off that debt. Now I want to pause here for a second and make a suggestion. Um, I'm not exactly sure that uh, what I'm about to say Paul had in mind as a primary application of this verse, but there's no doubt in my mind that it is at least an extension of what he says in this verse. Do you recall what he said in the early part of Romans? In Romans chapter 1, he said, verse 14, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are at Rome also. Now, Paul is saying that he had a debt, and his debt was to give the gospel to every creature. And so he was willing to travel all the way to Rome to do that. 
Now, in Romans 13, 8, he says, I don't want you to owe anybody anything, and the number one debt you have is love. Now, love is doing what is best for a person. And the greatest thing you can do for a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ is introduce him to the Lord. So I would like to suggest that part of fulfilling Romans 13, 8 is giving people the gospel. Romans 13, 8 is telling us that we are to love everybody. We are not to owe them anything. And that includes telling them that Jesus died for them, that he arose from the dead, and that they can have the forgiveness of sins by simply trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So, what is our obligation to society at large? We are to, in a word, love them. And that includes respect, honor, paying our debts, and giving them the gospel. We are to love all, the butcher, the baker, and the Cadillac maker. We are to love all. Now that's our responsibility. At this point in the passage, Paul gives us reasons why we are to love all. Notice verse 8 again. He says, For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Look at verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not cover, and if there's any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul argues in this passage that the reason you are to love is that love fulfills the law. He says that at verse 8, and he comes back to that at the end of verse 10. The point he is making is that love fulfills the law. Now, the first thing we have to establish is what law is he talking about? He's been talking about man's law in chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Is he talking about man's law? And the answer at this point is obviously not. For he quotes from God's law in verse 9, which is an explanation of the latter part of verse 8. So when he says it fulfills the law, he's not talking about the law of government. He's talking about the law of God. Furthermore, notice that he says the law is summarized by the word love. That's the point he makes in verse 9. He lists some of the commandments from the second table of the Decalogue, and he says they all are summed up in this one saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which, by the way, is a quotation from Leviticus 19.18. But look at what he says in verse 9. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Now, I want to pause and talk about these laws. These laws do two things. Number one, they summarize the whole law of love. And number two, they fulfill 
the whole law of love. Now, how does that happen? How is it that it summarizes the whole law? Well, if you look carefully at the commandments God has given us that talk about our relationship to other people, and you examine carefully what they say, you will see very quickly that what is really going on is nothing more than acts of love. So, he says, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Let me come at it like this. I think this whole passage is explained when he says in verse 10, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love fulfills the law. That's the key of how love not only summarizes, but fulfills the law of Moses. Let me explain. Let me say several things to try to put this in perspective. The law, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, and thou shalt not bear false witness, is really saying that a man has a right to life. And I have no right to take his life away from him. It is saying that a man has a right to a wife, or a wife has a right to a husband. You have a right to a mate. And I, or anyone else, does not have the right to take that wife or husband or mate away from you. You have a right to property. And no one has the right to take that property away from you. Which, by the way, is an interesting kind of concept that might just suggest that the Bible would be opposed to a communist system that teaches that the state owns all the property. The very implication of the Ten Commandments is that you have the right to private property. Very interesting little point. No one has the right to take your property away from you. You also have a right to a reputation. And no one has the right to, by lying or slander, take that reputation from you. Now, if you were going to go by the Mosaic Law, you were just going to try and live by that part of the Ten Commandments, then you would say, I do not have the right to in any way harm a person's wife, life, property, or reputation. Now, Paul teaches in the book of Romans that we are not under the law, meaning the Mosaic Law. We are under grace. He taught that in Romans chapter 6 and in Romans chapter 7. We are not under the Mosaic Law. Now people hear that and they say, well, does that mean you have the right to murder, commit adultery, steal, and slander? Of course not. But what the Bible teaches is that we are under the law of love. That's the law of Christ. So you can uh, dispense with all the laws and just remember this one principle. Just go love everybody. That's your obligation. And once you have done that, you have done all that is required of you. If all you knew was to love, meaning you were going to do what's best for a person, then let me ask you, would taking somebody's 
life be best for him? No. Would be destroying his marriage be best for him? No. Would taking his property be best for him? No. Would stealing his reputation be best for him? No. Or to ask the same thing another way, would taking his life hurt him? Oh, sure. Would uh, taking and destroying his marriage hurt him? Oh, yeah. Would taking his property hurt him? Obviously. And the same goes for his reputation. Now, love says, I will do no harm. I will do what is best. So if all you had was the law of love, you, and you operated on that principle, you would automatically fulfill the Ten Commandments. So while on the one hand, I'm not under the law, Romans 6 and 7, I am under the law of Christ, if you live by the law of Christ, you will fulfill the law that you are not under. In other words, the love of Christ can accomplish in your life what the law of Moses cannot do. If you leave Christ out of the equation and you just have the law, you're not going to be able to keep it. You're not even going to want to keep it. Paul argues in Romans chapter 7 that all law does is stimulate sin. It aggravates sin. It increases sin. So if all you have is staring the law in your face and you say, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, all it's going to do is egg you on to do it more. A solution to the problem, as Paul has explained in the book of Romans, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You establish that relationship when you trust him and you are declared righteous. But that does more than just declare you righteous. It plants the very life of God within your heart. And as you begin to grow in the life of Christ, the love of God, Romans chapter 5, is shed abroad in your heart. And as you operate on the principle of love, you automatically fulfill the law. Now that's stating the case in its ideal sense. What most of us experience is that as we walk with the Lord, we remember to do that as we walk in the light and as we walk in obedience to his word and we don't do that perfectly and the degree to which we do not do that is the degree to which we are not living a loving life. But the argument of the book of Romans is that we are to live a loving life and that that does no ill toward its neighbor and therefore you end up fulfilling the law. Another preacher has made it very practical and specific, and he put it like this. I thought this was rather cute. Paul says, love will not sleep with your neighbor's wife or husband. Love won't commit adultery. Love will not murder your neighbor or poison his dog or throw garbage over the fence into his backyard or do anything harmful to him. Love will not steal from your neighbor or keep his lawnmower more than a month. Love will not covet what is your neighbor's. 
It won't drool over his pool or stew over his new Porsche. Love does not want what your neighbor has, but rejoices with him over what he has. That is love. Therefore, love fulfills the law. You don't have to worry about keeping the Ten Commandments. All you have to worry about is acting in love, paying the debt you owe to every man, woman, and every child, every person you meet. If you love them, the debt of love will not injure them. End of quote. That's it. What is my obligation to those within the state, society at large? Not those within the brotherhood or those within the church, but those within society. The answer is the believer is to pay all his obligations to everyone, especially love, which since it harms no one, fulfills the law. To boil it all down and put it very simply. Your responsibility to society is don't hurt anybody and pay your debts. That's simple enough. Don't hurt anybody and fulfill all of your obligations. Now before I close, let me ask and attempt to answer several questions. Does the responsibility that a believer has towards society differ from the responsibility a non-Christian has towards society? I'm going to argue that in a sense the answer to that is yes. A citizen is obligated to obey government. As Christians we are obligated to obey God. Now in many cases those two things overlap and there's no conflict. But there could be the sense in which our obligation to obey God gives us a greater responsibility than the person who doesn't know the Lord. So the government might allow something that the ordinary citizen could do but we be, would be forbidden in the scripture and therefore the Christian would not be able to do. So yes, I think that our focus and our responsibility and obligation needs to be toward God and not just government. That means we obey all the laws of the government as much as is within us till it violates the law of God and beyond that the laws of God. Let me make another observation. Why do we do what we do? What is our motive? Does that differ from another person? I think as we looked at the early part of this chapter, we saw that uh, one of the reasons that you ought to obey government was because they had the power to punish. That's the motive of fear. That's a legitimate motive. But I think as you get down into verses 8 through 10, Paul is arguing that there is another motive. It's the motive of love. You see... We are not just obeying the law of man. We're not just obeying the law of Moses. We're obeying the law of God. Because we are obeying His law, Him, it's out of love, which is a superior motivation 
to the motivation of fear. So I think our responsibility is greater, and I think our motive is also greater. We don't do it just out of fear. We do it primarily out of love. Having said all of that, it all boils down to this. My responsibility as a Christian to everyone in the state at large is to do them no harm, pay all my debts, which can all be summarized in the law of love. That's a real easy assignment. Not a long list that you have to memorize. Not even ten rules you have to carry around and concentrate on. Just remember one, and that is go love everybody. That has certain ramifications to your family and to the body of Christ, the church. And it has ramifications beyond the confines of the family and beyond the confines of the church. It has some things to say about society at large. Namely, pay your debts. And your debt is to love. There was once a Christian who owed another Christian some money. The Christian who owed the money was in a prayer meeting once, and he was praying. And he said, Lord, give us some devil-driving faith. The one to whom he owed the money overheard the prayer, said to himself, hm, Lord, what you really need to do is giving, give him some debt-paying faith. That's Romans 13. You have a debt, it's to love. Go pay your debt. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you loved us. You've given us your love through your Son. Now, our Father, our prayer is that you would teach us to love everybody. Help us pay this debt by your grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.